title of my message, We Will Rise Up and Build. I'm only going to read a phrase from verse 17, verse 18, and verse 20. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Let us build up the wall of Jerusalem. Verse 18, the latter portion of the verse. They said, let us rise up and build. The latter portion of verse 20. We, his servants, will arise and build. You may be seated. It seems that God has a great interest in buildings that will accommodate his people coming together in one place for the assembly. And uh, be it a sanctuary, a tent, or a cathedral, it seems that God has expressed great interest in buildings that will house his people. Noah was instructed of God to build an ark eight souls would be saved, thus preserving the entire human species. Not only that, but all the species of animals and, and uh, all the other life would be preserved. Likewise, God gave the plans, the instructions, helped him to assemble the building materials, provided the labor, and he put it together, and it accomplished the purpose. And Noah and his family escaped the devastating flood and preserve the human race. Moses prepared a tent in the wilderness. It was not just an ordinary three, four, five, six, seven-pole tent. The tent or the tabernacle in the wilderness was an elaborate structure. It was overlaid with skins of animals and beautiful tapestries and silver and gold. And it was an elaborate uh, place in the wilderness that was portable. They could take it with them. Everywhere they went, there would be a place for the congregation to assemble, to come together. It would be a focal point of worship and teaching and hearing from God and seeing the manifestations of God's power. Solomon built a temple that David, his father, had prepared for. God would not allow King David to build the temple. He was a man that had fought many wars, shed a lot of blood. It had his gross sin with Bathsheba. So David was allowed the privilege to gather materials and provide wealth, much wealth, in order to provide for the building of the temple and charge his son Solomon to continue what God had started. So Solomon was responsible then under his reign for seeing that the temple was erected. Again, that the people might have a focal point, a central place to worship God and to hear from God. And it was something God planned and gave the specific specifications for, and even every detail was outlined by God. Ezra and Zerubbabel and Nehemiah came home from the captivity in Babylon to a land that had been devastated by the former Nebuchadnezzar's army and the Babylonian empire when it devastated Jerusalem and the land of Israel, took the people captives. Now then Babylon was gone overrun by the Medo-Persian Empire. And under the Persian ruler, Artaxerxes, Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, and Ezra were sent back to begin to make plans to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem and then to eventually rebuild the temple itself. Furthermore, our Lord Jesus has been in a building program. 
he left the earth and he said he was coming back again. He said, in my father's house are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you. He implied the mansions already were in existence, but he was going there to prepare a place, whether that meant just to arrange a reservation or whatever, I don't know. But I believe that heaven is adorned with mansions that God prepared. And so building has been important to God. He has provided many instructions through the word and resources for God's people to have a place of assembly. Nehemiah challenged the people to get involved in building in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17. He said to the people, come, let us build up the wall. This vision had been born in his spirit. It was planted there by Almighty God. While he was in Babylon, you turn back to the book of Ezra chapter 1, if you will, please. You'll find that, no, I'm sorry, this is Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3. He heard from people, Jews who had gone to Jerusalem and come back in Babylon and said, the city is burned with fire. The gates are burned. The walls are broken down. And he was affected by that. He was, in verse 4 it says, he sat down and wept. I believe that giving is an emotional thing. I believe that planning to do what God wants us to do involves our emotions. Nehemiah wept when he considered the need and the great challenge. It also says he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. Three things he did. He mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. He asked permission of Artaxerxes in chapter 2 and verse 5 to go back to Jerusalem and view the ruins and make preparation and plans to rebuild the walls and prepare for the future temple to be rebuilt. When he arrived in Jerusalem, in verse 13 of chapter 2, he viewed the ruins by night. And then he had a plan of action. Three nights he went out and viewed the ruins. He challenged the people in chapter 3 from the text that I read to you in verse 17. Rise up and build. Let us rise up and build up the walls. He couldn't stand to see the plunder, the devastation, the ruined state. It was a reproach for the land that God had chosen to be the apple of his eye, to be in such a sad state. In verse 18 of chapter 3, he said, the good hand of God was upon them. Then in chapter 3 and verse 18, he said, let us rise up. The people said, let us rise up and build. Now, Nehemiah had the vision. The people get the vision. They said, let us do it. Let's get on with it. Let's get about with it. Let us rise up and build. However, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem heard what was going on, and they said, it will never work. They were the naysayers. It will never work. You can't do that. It's impossible. We're not going to let you do that. We're opposed to what you're doing. And so the people said, we're going to rise up and build anyway. Look in verse 20, what Nehemiah's response was. We will arise and build. There comes a time you have to serve notice on the world. You have to serve notice on defeat. You have to serve notice on discouragement. You have to serve notice on doubt. You have to tell every demon and every devil, 
we're going to do it anyway. It was born in our spirit. Our spirits were stirred within us. The vision came from God. There's been fasting, there's been mourning, there's been praying, and God has stirred our spirits, and we will arise and build. Now then, along with the walls being repaired and restored, the temple had to be built up. The foundation must be played, must be laid, not played. The foundation must be laid. And so Ezra and Zerubbabel were instrumental in rebuilding the temple. In Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, it says the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, and he issued decrees for the temple to be built up. Think of that for a moment. Now then, Nebuchadnezzar's reign is gone. Babylon is no more. The Medes and the Persians have taken over, and the captive slaves are under the Persian Empire. And now then we have Cyrus, the person that would seem the most unlikely individual to facilitate the rebuilding of the temple. God stirred his spirit. I believe that people can do anything when God stirs their spirit. He challenged the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and build. He commanded them to help. If you look in verse 4 of Ezra chapter 1, help with silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and free will offerings. He got very mercenary. He got very materialistic. And with these secular words, he encouraged the people to give gold and silver and goods and beasts and free will offerings in order to facilitate the rebuilding of the temple and the laying of the foundation. In Ezra chapter 1 and verse 5, the people whose spirit God had raised to go up and build the house of the Lord. Not everyone in Babylon wanted to go home. Some of them had businesses. They were kind of settled down, and they were making do in, in the land of Persia. But some of the Jews responded because their spirits were stirred up, and God moved upon their heart. I believe that God is the one that we've got to look to to plant in our heart the vision, the dream, the mission that has to be accomplished for what this church is about to do. So our prayer is, God, stir up our spirits. You stirred up the spirits of Artaxerxes, of Cyrus. You stirred up the spirits of Zerubbabel. And you stirred up the spirit of Ezra and Nehemiah and of these Jews who went back to rebuild the temple. You stirred the people to give gold and silver and money and beasts and goods and stir the spirits of your people again. Those around them strengthened their hands. Look in verse 6, Ezra chapter 1. With silver, with gold, with goods, and precious things. I believe that we've reached a place in our church now that we've got to allow God to do something to take us to the next level. For three years since moving into this building, we've been very cautious not to do anything that would impair our ability to meet the mortgage payments and pay far more on the mortgage than we ever have been expected to. And we've been doing that. It's been coming down. The balance has been coming down, down, down. So we have set three goals, a faith goal of raising $100,000, a challenge goal of raising $300,000, a miracle goal of a half million dollars. What this would do is help us to keep from going into debt further. We want to get out of debt we want to pay off the mortgage. 
We don't want to increase the debt. And we have $50,000 in a fund right now. And we need $350,000 total. If we reach this miracle goal of $300,000, we'll pay cash for what we're doing across the hall. We may borrow construction money, but by the end of the 30-week 30 uh, period, we will have the money and be able to pay it all off. Friends, I believe God can work a miracle. I believe God can stir our spirits, and he will strengthen our hands and our leaders if we will pray, if we will give, if we will commit. You know, God has put certain laws that were referred to in Mark and Jenna's testimony. You have to plant if you're going to reap. A farmer knows that. A gardener knows that. The ladies working in, among their flowers know you've got to plant if you expect to, to have flowers and plants and a garden. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus said, these are the words of Christ. It's red letters in your Bible if you have a red letter edition. Anybody in favor of what Jesus said? Amen. It'll help if you say amen today. You know, when you're preaching on money, people get real quiet. <laughs> so it'll really help. Let me hear you. Oh, a little better than that. One more time. Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. I love it. The Lord said it. It works. I've proven it. I love to give. I have great pleasure. I have more pleasure in giving than I do in receiving. I don't often pray for God to give me things, but I look for the opportunities that I can give and help and encourage and bless other people. And it's a great source of blessing to my wife and I to be able to give. Five years ago, when we launched Vision 2000 campaign, my wife and I wanted to lead the congregation and we just wanted to set an example. So we committed ourselves to give $75,000 over a three-year period. Now, that's not peanuts, and it was not easy. We never in our entire lifetime had attempted anything like that. We had never paid that much for a house. We had never paid that much for two cars, and so we were challenged. Before the campaign was over, we added $25,000 to it, and we had a $100,000 goal to work towards. I want you to know that before the time was up, that it was all paid, and we learn a principle from the Lord. Given, it shall be given. And with the same measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And so as we gave on a weekly basis, we learned that we were planting seed. The seed began to grow. And it multiplied. And it bore fruit. And God enabled us to meet the obligation that we had made. During the economic downturn that followed our commitments, you, you've been here... You, and you read the papers, and you have television, and if you have investments, you know what happened in the economic downturn. People lost life savings. They lost their retirement benefits. They lost everything they had invested, or, or a good portion of it. During that period of time, my wife and I, early in the ministry, learned now the Assemblies of God doesn't have a retirement program. <laughs> Our rewards in heaven. <laughs> so we decided that we needed to start doing something for the time in life that we might slow down, not stop. Anyway, uh, we had some investments that during that economic downturn, we never lost one penny. We earned an average of 7% interest that whole period of time. Never lost, but made money during that time. 
and still met our commitment to Vision 2000. It proved to me that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or even think about. But unless you put the seed into the ground, it will not multiply. If you're waiting for your boat to come in, if you're waiting for some wealth to fall into your lap and then you'll share it, and I hope you don't play the lottery. <laughs> Please don't do that. But that's not the way that God expects you to give. Just give out of whatever you have. Just plant whatever you have. You don't have to compare yourself to another individual. You don't have to compare your gift to Mark and Jenna's or to the pastors or to someone else. Just as God leads you, just make it consistent. Put the seed in the ground. It's not going to grow. It will never multiply on the shelf or in the package or in the bank. It's going to multiply as you plant the seed. It will grow. And so if you do it on a regular basis, I would rather have God start working in my behalf now, not three years from now, not 30 weeks from now. So the commitment that my wife and I are going to make next Sunday, we're starting on it now. And every week we will be consistent because I want this, this law of sowing and reaping to start working right now. <laughs> I don't want to wait until the end and say, well, I'll save up and do it all at one time. I want God to start multiplying now. And I believe he'll do that. I want to talk to you for a moment about tithing because tithing is not giving. Tithing is giving back to God or putting back in God's storehouse that, that he already owns. The Bible clearly says the tithe is the Lord's. It's not yours. When people say, my tithe, no, no, no. It's God's tithing. The tithe is the Lord's. So when you tithe, you haven't given anything. You've simply returned to the Lord that which already belongs to him, the 10%. It's not 15%. It's not 5%. It's 10%. It's not intended to support television ministries, radio ministries. It's not intended to support evangelists. It's not intended to support missionaries. It's intended to come into the storehouse, bring you all the tithe into the storehouse. Some versions say the whole tithe. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and prove me now herewith. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I would not put a curse on anybody's television ministry by sending them my tithing. I would not put a curse on an evangelist by giving him my tithing. I would not put a curse on a missionary by tithing to a missionary because I know that's not God's plan. That's not God's way. That's not the storehouse plan. You can't improve on what God says. And so out of the abundance of what we have, we share with missionaries, with evangelists, with enterprises, and television ministers, and radio ministers, and God blesses that. Bountiful sowing brings a bountiful harvest. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Be a good place for somebody to say amen again. Come on, do better than that. One more time. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. It's a marvelous thing to see God at work. 
as we learn to be givers. Tithers, yes. That's just not it. That's never been, since I was this high, I've been a tither. Always, all my life, I've been a tither, faithful. And I've never put it in the wrong place. But I learned the principle of giving later in life. I learned that when I began to give above and beyond the tithe, that gave me the greatest joy that I could ever suppose that I would have. And to this day, I enjoy the blessing of giving. I want to encourage you to be a giver. Beyond the vision of Vision 2000, beyond the horizons of Vision 2000, is a giving principle. It's not a tithing principle. I want you to believe that God has led us to a point where we no longer can wait to go to the next level in our expansion. We must provide for those who are coming in, for those who are going to be a part of our church family, for the children, for our children's church, for Sunday school classes, for Christian education, for all the gatherings that will constantly be taking place. We have to move. We've waited for three years. We can't wait any longer. Now then, we have, our spirits have been stirred within us. We waited, you know, I'm not a patient man. Ask my wife. <laughs> I like things done yesterday. This week, I've already let Dick Gilreath know. His company is going to be the contractors on, on the remodeling. I want to hear the hammers, the saws. <laughs> I want to see progress. I want things to be start being demolished, the demolition to take place, and the construction to take place. Because I've been waiting a long time, much longer than I'm uh, accustomed to waiting. It's time for us to move to the next level. Next Sunday, we're going to give you the opportunity. And I want our ushers right now to distribute to the entire congregation cards that you will be able to take home with you and prayerfully think about, and next Sunday we will receive these cards. Brethren, they're on the back rows, and so if you'll get them and come to the front immediately, we want to distribute these to the congregation. Where are our ushers? They must have thought I was going to preach another 30 minutes. <laughs> you will receive a card, and on this card, Sister Wiggins, will you come to the platform? There's a chart that will show you if you give weekly over this 30-week period that will end next Easter, what will happen and how it will enable us to fulfill this vision that God has given to us. We're minus about three-fourths of our ushers. Did they go to Dennis? Sister Wiggins and I believe that we would never ask this church to do what we're not willing to do. And prayerfully and with faith, we're committing ourselves to give $30,000 over the next 30-week period to help avoid a, a larger debt and to see this building completed, this remodeling completed. This is phase one. It has two phases. Phase two, we'll see another project a little bit later. But phase one will cost $350,000 approximately. 
and we have committed ourselves, and we're going to start next Sunday, and then for 30 weeks, we're going to endeavor to keep our commitment up so that the end of this period, our giving will have equaled that. And we're going to pray over you. And I want you to hold that card when you have received it. I want our, our uh, musicians to come back. We're going to sing, Zion is calling you. I'm going to read the tither's blessing over this congregation as we take these cards and hold them in our hands and believe God for supernatural miracles. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. I want you to join me, Sister Wiggins, as I ask this congregation to stand now and I read this tither's blessing over you. I proclaim financial increase upon you and your house. I call in jobs for those of you who are unemployed. I call in better jobs for those of you who desire and need them. I bless you for a breakthrough where what has been clogged up and restricted will begin to normally flow again. The cause of your obedience in his tithe and offerings, I declare God's favor to be upon you so that those things that have been tied up in courts, such as inheritances, settlements, and estates, be released so that you may enjoy what God meant to be rightfully yours. God has stated that he wishes you to prosper. So therefore, I speak a blessing to come upon those of you who work in sales and commissions, that deals and opportunities be attracted to you, and that God prosper you in an extraordinary way. I speak over this giving congregation that opportunities for advancement will come to you. I also call forth raises and bonuses as needed. I call back to your residences wallets and bank accounts, what Satan attempted to steal from you. As with Job in the Bible, I speak that you be restored double what was lost or stolen. Because the Lord rejoices over his children, he delights to see us happy and blessed. The Lord will cause you to find money unexpectedly. He will bless you and surprise you with unexpected checks in the mail right out of nowhere. For those of you that God has blessed as entrepreneurs, may your mind be inspired with God ideas and inventions so that you can prosper. For those of you who own your own businesses, blessings be so abundant that your company can bless its employees with good pay and package benefits. I speak a spirit of abundance upon this congregation that God miraculously bring you out of debt so that the stress of debt and burden of debt will release your minds and that you come into a new peace, a new reality of financial freedom so that you and your house may serve God in newness and joy. May you and your house begin to enjoy plenty so that you may give liberally and generously in offerings as well as alms to the poor. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you in Jesus' name. I want to share this with you. It's a little bit humorous because talk about unexpected checks in the mail. We've had it happen numerous times, but it happened this week. I, I got an unexpected check in the mail. How many of you got an unexpected check in the mail this week? How many of you got one from PTL Investments? Yes. We were among those 
who and I have no regrets. We purchased a timeshare thing with PTL for their great hotel benefits. I wanted my family to be able to enjoy it. And so, uh, you know, I, I never wanted anything back. When the bankruptcy took place, I never wanted a nickel back. I, I didn't put my name down there to receive anything. But this week, I got my check back. $6.54, I believe it was. <laughs> An unexpected check in the mail. Every bit of it's going into Vision 2000. <laughs> dear, dear. Thank you. Thank you, dear. Amen. Praise God. I want you to sing with me now in closing. Zion is calling us to a higher place of praise. Zion is calling me to a higher place of praise. To stand upon the mountain and magnify His name. To tell all the people in every nation Oh, uh -huh. 